I want you to be thinking about one event. One event in your history. One event in your life. One event that you'd really like to take back. One event that you'd really like just to go away. One event in your life that if, if possible, you would just like to erase from your memory from it ever happening. I want you to think about one event in your life. One event that changed the direction of your future, maybe not for the better. One event that changed how you feel about people. One event that changed your outlook. One event that perhaps changed you from being perhaps a very positive person to maybe even being negative and bitter in life. One event. One event that every time you think of that one event, it makes you cringe. One event that every time the skeleton in the closet rattles, you just wished it would go away. Maybe you're the only one who knows about that event and you'd really like to keep it that way. You, you don't want anyone to know. It was just something that happened in your life nobody knew about and, and yet you know. You still know about that one event. And that one event still holds you hostage. Maybe some other people know about your one event. Maybe some other people were involved. Maybe some other people were influenced by something that you did or didn't do. One event in your life. Do you have one event? I'd like to think we all have at least one. One event that you'd like to change. One event that you'd like to erase. One event that still just holds you hostage. Maybe it was a crime. Maybe you broke the law. Maybe it was some sin in your life that was a, a big enough sin, not that one is any bigger than the other, but big enough in your life that you're thinking, wow, if I could just, if I could just take that one disobedient time, if, if, if I could just erase that. Maybe it was a relationship you wished you hadn't had. Maybe it was a one-night stand. Maybe it was a poor financial decision and you're still recovering. Maybe it was a bad choice. Maybe it was a choice that you didn't make, that you should have made, one event in your life. Can you be thinking of that one event? We're in a series called My Favorite Bible Characters, and it's really pretty simple. I'm just picking Bible characters that I like, and I'm preaching on those. The first one was Onesiphorus. His name means prophet bringer, and he was a prophet bringer to Paul. When Paul was in prison, Onesiphorus, Paul said, searched hard for me. He went to prison after prison after prison. He searched hard for me. And Paul said, he often refreshed me. He encouraged Paul. Everyone needs an Onesiphorus in their life. Someone who provides encouragement. Someone who, can, who will call you and say, hey, you need to this or you need to that. Maybe you need to be that Onesiphorus in someone's life. Then last week we looked at David. I told you I like David's fight. I like David's focus. I like David's failures. And we talked about David and Goliath, and the story is not about David, the story is not about Goliath, the story is that the battle belongs to the Lord, and the Lord wants to give us victories, but the life of David reminds us that God gives victories to those who give themselves to Him. So this week I want to look at another Bible character, maybe not as well known, although his name shows up a lot of times in the Bible, and this Bible character has... One event. 
one event that interestingly has been recorded for thousands of years for everybody to know about. His one event doesn't go away. His one event everybody knows about. And that Bible character is Judah. You're thinking, Judah? Who's Judah? So let me give you a little Bible history to bring you up to date. If you're reading through the Bible for the first time, you might come across a man named Abram. God changed his name to Abraham. And God said, hey, I'll tell you what, I'm going to make a covenant with you. And God promised to give him a great land and a great blessing and a great nation. He said, you're going to be the father of many nations. In fact, God said, if, if you look at the stars in the sky, if, there, if, if there's any way possible that you could number those stars, that's how many your descendants are going to be. And God gave Abraham and Sarah the child of promise, Isaac. And Isaac married Rebekah, and they had two sons, and those two sons were Esau and Jacob. Scripture says that Isaac loved Esau and Rebekah loved Jacob. And God changed Jacob's name as well. When God says, hey, I'm going to change your name, there's really no sense in arguing. God's got a reason to do that. And God changed Jacob's name to Israel. So if you're reading through the Bible, you read about some guy named Israel who has 12 sons, the 12 sons of Jacob, the 12 sons of Israel, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulon, Joseph, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher, the 12 sons of Israel. His name is changed to Israel. Don't mean to confuse you. The 12 tribes, God's people. And so as you're reading through, you see these 12 sons. And if you're reading through Genesis, pretty much Genesis 36 to 50, the last 15 chapters has to do with Joseph. So I need to tell you a little bit about Joseph to get to Judah. Joseph is a brother Judah is a brother. Joseph was the favorite. Joseph was his dad's favorite. He was the chosen child. In fact, we read Israel, that's Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he was born to him in his old age and he made a richly ornamented robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and they couldn't speak a kind word to him. Some of you all have siblings like that. Some of you all can relate to having siblings that hate you, don't want to speak to you, don't have anything nice to say about you. That's Joseph. Jacob loved Joseph. Joseph's brothers hated him. And they didn't just hate him in words. They went to extremes to hate him. And so as you read through Genesis, Joseph had a dream, and they hated the fact that he had a dream. And Joseph had another dream, and they hated him all the more because he had such a dream. You read about that. <clears throat> and one time he's coming out to the fields, and they said, here comes that dreamer. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns in the ground, big hole in the ground, and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. So 11 brothers say, hey, let's just, let's just get rid of him. I mean, we're kind of tired of Joseph. Let's get rid of him. So they stripped him of his robe, and they throw him down in the cistern, and they stop and eat. The brother's in the hole. Hey, we're hungry. Let's eat. So Ishmaelites come along. And so they said, hey, I'll tell you what. Let's just sell Joseph to the Ishmaelites. Let's make a few bucks off the guy. So they sell him to the Ishmaelites. Joseph is gone. Joseph is going to Egypt. And as you read through the rest of Genesis, um, you find some interesting things about Joseph. Joseph is bought by Potiphar. Joseph rises to be second in command. Potiphar's wife tries to seduce him. 
He gets thrown in jail. He spends a lot of time in jail. There's a famine in the land. He interprets another dream. I'm covering 50 chapters here, or at least 15. We're going through a lot of Genesis. And so the famine in the land, the 11 brothers come back. They're reunited, and it feels so good. Peaches and Herb, it's a song that I heard growing up. Sorry, I veered a little bit there. And so um, Joseph is reunited with his dad, reunited with his brothers, and you'd like to think, hey, everything ends happily ever after. So that's pretty much Genesis, the last 15 chapters. But tucked away in one chapter, for some strange reason, for some unusual reason, we're going to hear about a guy named Judah who is one of the brothers. Now let me tell you about Judah. Judah is the one that said... What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. I mean, you know, after all, he's our brother. So, he's our own flesh and blood. So Judah is the ringleader. Judah is the spokesman. As much as he hates Joseph, he says, we can't kill him. I mean, I just soon he'd go off somewhere else. I just soon he not come home. I just soon dad not talk about him anymore. I just soon we not hear any more about any dreams. Judah is the one that says, hey, let's make a few bucks on our brother. If you plug in Judah into a Bible search engine, that name will show up about 800 times occurring in the Bible. Sometimes it refers to a person. Sometimes it refers to the tribe of Judah. Sometimes it refers to a land. When the United Kingdom split, the northern kingdom was known as Israel. The southern kingdom was known as Judah. So Judah shows up a lot in the Bible. Sometimes not always in a good fashion. In fact... Jesus was from the tribe of Judah. We'll see that in a minute. There's another interesting occurrence of Judah. Maybe you remember when we go into the promised land and we march around Jericho and we yell and shout. And God said, go in and destroy everything. And one of the guys goes in and doesn't destroy everything. He's greedy and he takes some of the stuff. And so you read about in the Bible, the Israelites acted unfaithfully in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, son of Zimri, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah. And because he took some devoted things, when they tried to go take Ai, because he stole some stuff and didn't listen to God, 36 people died because a descendant of the tribe of Judah acted unfaithfully. So Judah sometimes gets a bad rap. The people of Judah sometimes get a bad rap. But here's what I want to talk about. In Genesis 38, You need to go home and read Genesis 38. I'm not going to read it all to you. If I did, you'd be embarrassed. If I did, you'd think, "Eh, why is Richie preaching on this? Well, I'm preaching on this because it's in the Bible, and he's one of my favorite characters. Genesis 38, at that time, Judah left his brothers and went down to stay with a man of Adalam named Hira. There Judah met the daughter of a Canaanite man named Shua. He married her and lay with her. She became pregnant had a son named Ur, had a son named Onan, had a son named Shelah. So Judah goes down and marries outside of God's people. So he's already messed up. God was very clear, I want you to marry one of my own people. So he goes and marries a Canaanite woman, and he has three kids. Those kids are going to be raised getting mixed messages. Do we follow the God of our dad? Do we follow the gods of our mom? But he has three children. 
And if you keep reading in Genesis 38, Judah finds a wife for his son Ur, and her name is Tamar. And if you keep reading, Scripture says, Ur was wicked in the Lord's sight, so the Lord put him to death. You've got to be pretty wicked for the Lord to look down and say, you're wicked, boom, you're gone. He was wicked in the Lord's sight, so the Lord put him to death. Man, I'm glad God doesn't operate that way today. Our attendance would be going down at church, would it not? So, Daddy, Judah, says, based on Deuteronomy chapter 25, he goes to son number two, Onan, and says, Hey, your brother didn't have any kids. So it's your responsibility to marry his wife, produce produce a son, mainly for inheritance, so the family name would continue on. So dad, Judah, goes to Onan and says, this is your responsibility. And you read in Scripture that Onan says, I'm not doing that. And what he did was wicked in the Lord's sight, and the Lord put him to death. We're running out of brothers. I don't know how wicked you have to be for God to look down on you to say, your life's over right now. That leaves the third son, Shelah. He's not old enough to marry Tamar. So Judah tells Tamar, hey, listen, you put on your widow's clothes and you put on the veil and you wait for him to grow up. And she does. And she waits. And Sheila grows up. Sheila doesn't take Tamar as a wife. And you can read this just one chapter, Genesis 38. Judah's wife dies, the dad, Judah. His wife dies and he grieves and he goes to Timnah. Why? Because it's sheep shearing time. It's money making time for those in the sheep business. Money flowed and people partied. And Tamar, the daughter-in-law, finds out that Judah's coming her way. So she plots because she doesn't have a husband. She doesn't have a child. She doesn't have any inheritance. And Sheila's not done anything to help her out. So she plots. I'm not making this up. You can read this in Genesis 38. So she veiled her. She takes off her widow's clothes. She veils herself. She disguises herself. And along comes Judah. And he thinks she's a prostitute. What makes that okay? I still haven't figured out. He doesn't know that his daughter-in-law has veiled herself in such a way that he doesn't even recognize her. And he sleeps with her. And she needs a little insurance policy. So Judah gives her his seal, a unique design uh, that's in either a ring or a stone. You know, they would, they would put that seal in wax and you would know there's a seal and a cord. And he gives her his staff and she becomes pregnant by her father-in-law. Tucked away in Genesis 38. Three months later, Judah finds out his daughter-in-law is pregnant and he goes ballistic because he doesn't have a clue. He says, bring her out, let's put her to death. They bring her out and she produces the seal, the cord, and the staff. And he's in trouble. She gives birth to twins named Zira and Perez. Now... Here's Genesis 38, for all the world to see. Here's a man in his immorality that takes his daughter-in-law 
and sleeps with her and produces two twin boys. Remember what we said last week? One thing I like about the Bible, God doesn't sugarcoat anything. I mean, here it is for everybody to see. Somebody sins, God says they sin. Somebody's sexually immoral, God says they're sexually immoral. God just lays it out right there. Why, why would God do that? You remember that one event I talked about in your life? Here's Judah's one event. Here's Judah's one event for everybody to see. I mean, can't we just tell the story of Joseph from Genesis 36 to 50? Can't we just leave that out? I'm sure Judah's thinking, hey, uh, God, the next time you do a Bible steering committee, can I be on what's recorded? I mean, how would you like to have your one event in the Bible for people to see? How would you like to have your one event recorded in the Bible for Bible class teachers to say, hey, let me tell you about Richie. We got a whole chapter here. He's not mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, the great chapter of faith, but he's given a whole chapter to talk about his sexual immorality. Wow. How would you like to have your one event? Next week, we're just going to put your one event up on the screen for everybody to see. Hey, here's what... I won't name any names. Here's what somebody's one event was. Let's just have a video and watch that right now. What do y'all think? How embarrassing. Judah, I'm sure, wanted his one event to go away. Judah didn't want his one event recorded. Judah, I'm sure, is thinking, why did God decide to do this? You know, there's some interesting things in the Bible... You get to Matthew chapter 1, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so, that chapter you miss. This is a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah. And Judah was the father of two illegitimate boys through his daughter-in-law. And they're recorded in the genealogy of Jesus. Their mother was Tamar. To the Jewish people who thrived on being able to tell, hey, I'm related to so-and-so, 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 and and I can take my lineage back to David, and I can take my lineage back to Abraham. Genesis 38, God makes it a point. Matthew, I want you to record what Judah did so that everybody knows what Judah did. And through these two boys, the lineage of Jesus comes. Why would, God, why would God do that? I mean, what's God's motive? I'm not going to pretend to understand. I'm not going to pretend to know. But why would God record this one event, this one chapter? A couple of things come to my mind. Number one, maybe to remind us that Genesis 38 could have been any one of us. Your one event could have been Genesis 38. I'm not suggesting that you've been sexually immoral. I'm just saying you plug your one event into Genesis 38 for everybody to read through the generations, through the thousands, thousands of years. Everybody knows, hey, here's what Richie did. Maybe God recorded what Judah did, his one event to remind us any one of us could have been in Genesis 38. Any one of us has had one event. Any one of us has had sin in our lives. In fact, I like the way Paul records it in 1 Corinthians 6. Don't be deceived, neither sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, male prostitutes, homosexual offenders, thieves, greedy, drunkards, slanderers, swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And it's almost like he looks out and says, Hey, hey, that's what some of you were. 
Oh, we take pride in who we are and we like to cover up our one event. We don't want anybody to know about our one event. And Paul says, hey, that, that's what some of you were. I just want to remind you. That's what some of you were. I just want to remind you, Genesis 38 could have been you. I just want to remind you, your one event. God knows about your one event. So maybe God put that in there just, just to remind us we're all damaged good. We're all sinful people. We all have soiled lives, soiled by sin. But maybe God wants to remind us of something else, and that is God uses imperfect people. What other choice does He have? We're all imperfect. We've all got the one event. We've all probably got lots of events. And God can take that one event and do great things because of the one event. The one event that we want to hide, the one event that we'd like to just have go away, God says, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me take your one event and show you what I can do with your one event. So maybe God wants to remind us. He put Genesis 38 in there to remind us that He takes our sins and our pollution and our dirt and and He uses it for His glory. Again, Paul in 2 Corinthians says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take away the thorn in my flesh, but He said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your one event, in your weakness, in the stuff you want to have go away. Paul says, therefore, I'll boast all the more about my weaknesses so that, I'm not boasting in myself, I'm boasting so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, insult, hardship, persecution, difficulties. For when I'm weak, I'm strong. In the midst of my one events, God says, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is exactly when I want to come into your life, is in the midst of your one event. When you want to hide and when you want to disappear, God says, wait a minute, wait a minute. Can I do something right now with your one event? God uses our weaknesses to show His power. God uses our weaknesses to show His glory. So let, let, me, let me go back to this guy named Perez, the illegitimate son. So Judas sleeps with his daughter-in-law. They have two boys, Perez and Zerah, two boys that were the result of this one event. And then you get to this book in the Old Testament called Ruth. And it's about a family. A mom and dad, they've got two boys. The two boys marry some girls. And then the dad and the two boys die. Leaving the mom and the two daughter-in-laws. One of the daughter-in-laws says, hey, I'm just going back home. And the other, Ruth, stays with, his, with her mother-in-law, Naomi. And Ruth marries a guy named Boaz. And then we read, this then is the family line of Perez. Why are we recording the family line of Perez? I mean, couldn't God weave his story through, through a, 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 a much nicer family? Couldn't God weave his story through a situation This let's not use this one event. God, can you not send Jesus through some other lineage? This then is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron, Ram, Aminadab, Nashon, Salmon, Boaz, Obed, Jesse, David. I mean, you show you're related to David, you're somebody. And David was related to Perez. And Perez came along in Genesis 38 from Judah sleeping with his daughter-in-law. Are you kidding me, God? No. God's not kidding. Because God does amazing things through our mess-ups. 
God does amazing things through all of our sin. God does amazing things through the one events in our life. In fact, let me tell you about one event. There's one event that we celebrate every week. There's one event that, that we like to talk about. There's one event that... Let me leave that up there. That, that if it weren't for that one event, we don't even need to be here today. And that one event is Jesus dying on the cross. God said, through this one event, I can wash away your sins. I can wash away your past. I can make you a new creation. I can give you forgiveness. I can change your past. I can change your future. Through this one event, the death of Jesus on the cross, through one event, God does amazing things with one event. And God says, I want you to respond to that one event. And I'm going to give you one event that you can do. If you'll respond to what my son Jesus did on the cross, if you'll say, you know what, I accept Jesus and what he did at the cross. I accept him as Lord and Savior. And I'm going to repent of not just my one event, but my many sins. And I'm going to be baptized into the name of Jesus Christ. Because I believe the one event of baptism is when I encounter the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. I believe the one event of baptism, when my sins are washed away, when I encounter that blood, I believe that one event is what changes my life. You can have one event today where you say, you know what, today I want to have one event that I can point to in my life and know because of this one event, God promises that He'll change my life. So today we offer the invitation of Jesus Christ. The invitation of Jesus Christ is for you to look back to the cross, that one event. The invitation of Jesus Christ is for you to look into your heart and respond and say, you know what, I want to be a Christ follower. I want to be a Christian. How do you do that? Repent and be baptized so that you can have your sins washed away, so that God can fill you with His Spirit, so that that one event will change your eternity. If you need to respond to that one event, we can baptize you today. You don't have to do it today. You don't have to do it in front of a big crowd. I know that makes you nervous. That makes a lot of people nervous. You can do it this afternoon. You can do it Tuesday night. You can do it anytime you want, but you need to have that one event in your life where you can point to and say, this is when I encounter Jesus. If you've got sin in your life that's overwhelming to you, our shepherds will meet you in the back. They'll take you to a private room. They will embrace you in prayer. They will lift you before the throne of God's grace. If you need Jesus today, would you let His blood wash your sins away as we stand and sing?